put on his heart. And so bring your kids and uh, get alone. Invest in your marriage. It's going to be good. Um, sorry, this is weird on my neck. It's like up in my arm. Ah, okay. Okay, we're okay. Philippians chapter 2. This is called, our, our time in the Word today is called, How to Think About Daily Sacrifice. How to Think About Daily Sacrifice. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can uh, serve you, that we can know you. Lord, I thank you for all the wonderful, precious servants that you have here at this church. I know that I am completely incapable of, of doing much more than I do right now. Lord, you have, I am weak, and you have surrounded me with so many wonderful, wonderful friends, uh, and we all are here to serve you. Lord, it's such a joy to be part of this family, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, thank you for the people here with gifts of mercy and gifts of service and gifts of compassion and love. And Lord, I pray that, um, that you would be glorified by how our church is put together. Lord, we look at the outside, maybe we don't see super talented folks or maybe we are um, not what the world would call skilled. But Lord, we are your precious children and you have made no mistakes when putting us together. I thank you for every single person here and how you have loved us and showered mercy on us. God, you have cleansed us all with the blood of your son, Jesus. And we gladly put on those robes and just are, are overjoyed to be part of your family. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Franklin Roosevelt's closest advisor during much of his presidency was a man named Harry Hopkins. I got a picture of Harry. Do we have a picture of Harry? I have a picture of Harry. There is Harry. Handsome fellow, right? Well, during World War II, um, when his influence with Roosevelt was at its peak, Hopkins held no official cabinet position. Moreover, Hopkins' closeness to Roosevelt caused many to regard him as a shadowy, sinister figure. I could see that. Shadowy and sinister are the two words that come to my mind when I look at him. Not really, but... And, and a lot of people would ask him, why do you keep Hopkins so close to you? You surely realize that people distrust him and resist his influence. Roosevelt replied, someday you may well be sitting here where I am as president of the United States. And when you are, you'll be looking at that door over there and knowing that practically everybody who walks through it wants something out of you. You'll learn what a lonely job this is. And you'll discover the need for somebody like Harry Hopkins, who asks for nothing except to serve you. Winston Churchill rated Hopkins as one of the half dozen most powerful men of the 1940s. And the sole source of Hopkins' influence and power was his willingness to serve. His willingness to serve. We get to our scripture now, which is Philippians 2.17. We're going to get to 18 a little bit later, but we're going to focus first on verse 17. And it says, Paul says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with you all. He says, I am glad to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Paul has just finished teaching us how to think and live with fear and trembling, which we looked at last week, how to live with humility and faith. And that's a a total anxiety. This trembling meant a total anxiety about our own inabilities. We know that we're unable to serve God, but yet we have total trust and faith in his power and in his grace that's given to us, which enable us to live a godly life, to actually be godly. Every single one of you in here who believes is perfectly godly. You have it given to you. Just by believing, you are right in God's presence, in his sight. Your desires are cleansed. Everything about you is clean. The enemy wants to lie to you, and and he'll trip you up, and your flesh will come at you. But you, who you really are, is right in God's sight. And and then he said, in in one of the last verses we looked at last week, he said, when we live a godly life, we're going to shine as lights to this world. You won't be able to hide it. You'll be like a a city on a hill. That was in verse 15 when he said that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. So this week, Paul is going to show us how to think about serving. If we're supposed to be lights to the world, how, how do we do that? We, we know, number one, we believe, we just believe, and God will do a work in you that makes you a light. But there's got to be something that we actually do, and Paul calls it serving, serving God. Um, every single day, we're called to serve God, giving our lives to serve him. Let's review Romans 12, 1 and 2. This has been kind of our theme verse for how to think, and and it's actually closely related to this whole serving idea that we're getting into now. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God has a good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life, and that's for you to serve him. And those, that serving is called sacrifices. We make sacrifices for the Lord. The priests made sacrifices all the time in the Old Testament. We're going to look at one of those today. Paul here, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. This is really key. He kind of sneaks it in there. I mean, if you, the first time you read it, you're like, okay, uh, being poured out. I can picture pouring my life out. But Paul, he's being a really good teacher, kind of sneaky where he says a drink offering. And he wants us to investigate where the drink offering came from. He wants us to learn about it so that we can see the full depth of what he's saying here. And to do that, we're going to need to turn to Numbers chapter 28. Uh Uh-oh, Bible study that has numbers in it. It's going to be deep. All right, Numbers 28. This is going to be awesome. You're going to love it. We got to see where Paul gets this idea, this doctrine of of a, a drink offering. 
once we read this chapter and once we do this study, we're going to be able to understand what he's saying when he says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice in you all. That's what he said. We're going to have a a real good understanding of that. So when we get to Numbers chapter 28, it begins like this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food and for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day. Those are important words, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. Or we're going to learn it's called a standing offering. This is called the daily offering. Verse 4, one lamb, the one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth a hin of pressed oil. Verse 6, it is a regular or standing burnt offering which, you, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Okay, so God is giving them this offering that he says, I just like it. It smells good to me. That's it. That's his reason for this offering that he gives three times in these verses. Now look at the next verse, verse 7. As its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb, in a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as in the morning, as the morning grain offering and its drink offering, and you shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. What's going on here is that God loves to be served. He loves to be served. He loves to receive your offerings. It's a sweet aroma. He likes to smell it. It causes him pleasure. He loves it. This is heaven's perspective. This is God's point of view. When his children say, I'm going to serve you, God, he loves it. It's like a drink offering poured out to him. So he gave these instructions to the nation of Israel on how to serve him and how to please him. He was their God, and they could only really be happy in serving and worshiping him. So he gave them quite a few ways where they could please him. Quite a few different ways that they could be a sweet smell in his nose. He, he gave them all these different options. And, and some of them were required, some of them were optional. This one was he wanted every day. And Paul here, he's referencing this specific offering because it's the only one that required a drink offering to go with it. So when Paul says, I am being poured out as a drink offering, he's saying... I want you to look at this sacrifice. This is what I'm talking about. I am the drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith. And the word in Hebrew for standing or daily is the word tamyid. Everyone say tamyid. I love when you guys speak Greek to me or Hebrew. (laughs) And it means perpetual or daily or constant or consistent. Consistent. All right. In Revelation chapter 5, 
verse 6, we see something very interesting. John, he sees a vision of heaven, and he looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. And this word stood is the same word meaning consistent, daily standing, the lamb. Who's that lamb? Bible answer is Jesus, and you're correct. It is Jesus. And it says he stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So John sees this image, this revelation of Jesus, and he sees him standing. And this doesn't mean he was just, he had stood up. This means he is standing in a consistent way. And it says, as a lamb that had been slain. As a lamb that had been slain. Why do you think John saw Jesus in that way? Why was Jesus revealed to John in that way? Well, in our Numbers chapter, we learned about these lambs. These lambs. In, in Revelation, we see Jesus as a lamb. Do you think that maybe in the book of Numbers, it's shadowing, foreshadowing Jesus? Just perhaps Jesus, we would find him on the pages of the Old Testament. Absolutely. Remember, the first, let me, let me tell you how this sacrifice happened at the, at the, in the temple time. Uh, the first lamb was tied down at the first hour and sacrificed at uh, the third hour. So the first hour, 6 a.m., and he was sacrificed at 9 a.m. Then the second lamb was tied to the altar at noon, which is the sixth hour, and then he was sacrificed at 3 p.m., which is the ninth hour. So that's how this daily sacrifice happened every day for 4,000 years, except when the kings were apostate, certain times in there. But when the nation was seeking the Lord, what did they do every day? They always tied a lamb to the altar at 6 a.m., killed him at 9 a.m., tied a lamb at noon, and killed him at 3 every day. And they doubled it on the Sabbath. And every time that they sacrificed the lamb, they poured wine out in front of the altar. Every time. Every day. Every day. Every day. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, we see some very interesting things. At dawn, he was condemned at 6 a.m. At 9 a.m., he was crucified. At noon, the sun turned dark. God's wrath was upon him. And at 3 p.m., he died. So what we see here is that Jesus is the reality of what this daily sacrifice was picturing. This daily sacrifice every day foreshadowed for the people what their Messiah would do for them. Every day. Every day. Now, how much involvement did the people have in the sacrifice of the lamb? Think about this. What was their part in it? Did they birth the lamb, lambs? No. Their only job was to take the lamb and kill it. That's their role in the sacrifice. Okay? It's not our... Uh, this is so cool. All that the Lord wanted them to do was to pour out this 
drink offering with the sacrifice. Let the sacrifice be the center of attention. But hey, if you want me to be just really pleased, if you want to serve me, here's what you can do. Take some wine and pour it out. What's, what's the vessel look like after you pour it out? Empty, right? So we're seeing this is all fitting together with what we've learned about living with humility and emptiness before the Lord. Serving God is directly related because it's his sacrifice and we simply add a pouring out of our life to his sacrifice and we end up empty to be filled with his spirit. It's, it's really amazing. We're going to see that Jesus is the reality of what this daily sacrifice pictured for 4,000 years. Now, turn to Hebrews because it directly tells us these things. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 8. The author of Hebrews says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is, an, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests which offer gifts according to the law, who serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Verse 6 is important. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So Jesus himself is the reality of what the daily sacrifice pictured. There was these priests. The priests were serving God by killing the lamb and then by pouring out drink offerings daily. This was the daily sacrifice. And Jesus, it says here, serves as our high priest every day. And he is up in heaven working away, offering gifts and sacrifices, he said. But not the same way. It's, it, he... His, his work is in heaven, but it's reaching all the way down here to earth. He is making sure that we can serve God here on earth. That's what Jesus is doing up in heaven. He is making the truths that exist up in heaven show up in your life. That's what we need to know. What is it like up in heaven? We need it to be like that in my life here. Remember Philippians 2.13 that we studied last week. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So Jesus is working, he's laboring, he's serving us up in heaven by making what's inside us line up with what's happening in heaven, what's real in heaven. Up in heaven, Jesus has erased your guilt. On earth, the Spirit is teaching you to really believe that your guilt is gone. Up in heaven, Jesus rules everything, and he is not afraid, and he does not surrender anything to the enemy at all. On earth, the Spirit is teaching us to submit to God and live without fear. 
to take back all that the enemy holds on to in this world. What did Jesus say? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is working through the Spirit to help us realize that right now we sit with him on his throne. That's the reality that he is laboring by the Spirit to get us to realize. Why? So that we can be a drink offering like Paul. So that we can serve him daily. So that we can be used by God here in Denver, Colorado in 2016. Life is so short, right? Only what we do for Jesus will last. Not your job, not your money, or your houses, or your cars, or anything else. The only lasting goal of life is serving God. This is the only thing that should matter to any of us, is being a drink offering. On top of his sacrifice, a drink offering. Paul, at the, by the end of his life, Paul, he's so excited because he tells Timothy, at the end of his short life, he says in First Timothy, Second Timothy four six, he says, "I'm already being poured out as a drink offering for the time of my departure is at hand." He knew that life was so short, and he wanted to give everything to God. Why? All that Paul cared about was being a drink offering, giving it all to God. Remember, this drink offering was added to the daily sacrifice to make it even more pleasurable to God. Now, we don't add to the work that Jesus did on the cross, do we? He said it was almost done except for what you have to add. No. He said it was finished. But we choose, choose, choose is the key word, to add sacrifices to God. Sacrifices to God equals living a life, a godly life, out of love and grace and not out of obligation. See, if we were adding to Jesus' work, it would be an obligation for us to add a certain amount and, oh, you added, you may enter. No. We do not get judged for these sacrifices. Why would God judge a sacrifice? There was one sacrifice. We read that in Hebrews. One sacrifice, that's what he judged, and he judged it to be good enough, great enough, abounding in goodness. And yet we come with more sacrifices. Why? Because we love him, and not because we're adding, or I feel like I need to add to Jesus, but because, well, Jesus, he's loved me so much. I want to pour out my life for him. I want it. Not an obligation. Remember, Jesus is the daily sacrifice. He's the one pictured. We are just the drink offering that accompanies it. Do you make true sacrifices to God? Is that how you're living your life? Or are you doing good things in any way to earn favor from God? Those are two different approaches that are as far away as the east is from the west. A heart of love in response to God is grace-centered. A heart of works and labor is law-centered, and it doesn't work. So, 
Let's check. Let's, let's look at some verses in the Bible that talk about making sacrifices and, and offerings. And let's see, well, let's judge ourselves by what the Word of God says. First question, are you coming to him first or after your sacrifices? 1 Peter 2, verse 4. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Are you coming to him first I love that song, that song first uh, that's on the radio right now. Before I, well, how's it go? Before I bring my needs, I will bring my heart, you know, and seek you first. Like, it's a good song. But it's a, got a great truth and a good question. Are we coming to God first to remember his sacrifice before we serve him? First Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, coming to him, coming to him is the first step here. As to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. What did priests do? They served God. A holy priesthood is what he's doing in us when we come to him first. And he says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know if God really wants me to serve him. I don't know what to do to serve him. Well, just come to God. Spend time with Jesus. Come to him. And he builds you up to serve him. You come to him, and then guess what? The desires of your heart will line up with this. All of a sudden, you're going to be thanking God. You're going to be praising him. You're going to be, have a heart for other people. That only happens when we come to him first. Come to him. Look at what he did on the cross, not what can I do for you. There's a lot of churches that form and they get a plan and a business model and they're like, what can we do for the kingdom? What can we do? Let's get a plan together. Let's do these. And I appreciate the heart. But scripturally, it's off base because he has to build those things in us. We cannot do them ourselves. We can't come up with them ourselves. They're spirit-taught. And the power we need is from the Holy Spirit, which does not work on the timeline of men. He, he is not man-servant. He is Lord. We serve him. So this verse says, we come to him first. Are you coming to him first, or do you do your sacrifices first? That's a great test. Because if you do your sacrifices first, you're probably on this side that you want to earn God's approval that's already been given to you. Jesus already won it. Jesus already earned it. So why do we do that? Second question, test for us. Are you thinking about the good of others? Philippians 4.18. Are you thinking about the good of others? He says in Philippians 4.18, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. See, these Philippians, who Paul is writing to right now, they did a great job in their serving the Lord, and they did it, look what, through their, their money. That was a pleasing smell to the Lord. We have never asked for money and we never will ask for money because God's not broke and God will take care of all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. But you may, you may offer sacrifices. You may. 
And with God, they are a sweet-smelling aroma. He understands how much it costs you. He knows. There is no law for you to tithe. It is not a law. You are free. Don't ever give again. Unless you love Jesus. Unless you just want to respond to him. That's the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And guess what happens when people are free? Guess what happens? They love to give. They love it. When it's not by compulsion, when the pastor's not up here saying, God needs your money, you will be blessed. No. When people know that it's just to God that I offer my gifts and service, people give their lives for the Lord. Because love is the greatest motivator in the world. Are we thinking about the good of other people? He says here, it's a sweet, it was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice and well-pleasing to the Lord that these, Ephesians, these Philippians sent to Paul something that he, he was desperately in need of. He was broke, and they gave him a blessing. And man, he says that was sweet-smelling to the Lord. It was an acceptable sacrifice. Well, next question, third question. Are you moved by mer- the mercy of God to action? In other words, do you love others because God has loved you so much? And our verse for this is Romans 12.1, which we already read once today, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God is saying here, every single one of you should be serving me. That's what you're made for. It's you have been made holy. Well, but you don't know what I'm into. You don't know what Jesus did for you. Yeah, you think you're into that, but you're free. Jesus has freed you. And that's the reality. He lives in up in heaven, and he's working by the Holy Spirit to make that real in your heart and in your life. So there's no reason you shouldn't serve God. None. Well, I'm not, I'm not sanctified. No, you are. I don't have gifts. No, God says he gave you gifts. He's given you many things. You can serve him. It's, he even says reasonable, he says. That's a good one. Next question. Do you give thanks to God? Do you do good? Do you share? How do you think of your money? Is it yours or to do with what you want or do you offer it back to him? Our verse we look at here is Hebrews 13, verse 15. And he says, Therefore, by him, let us continually, that's the word daily, the same word for Jesus and his, the picture of his sacrifice in the numbers, that daily sacrifice. He says, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Wow. So a great thing that you can do to serve God today, tomorrow, and every day is just thank him and praise him. Isn't that wonderful? We come here and the first thing we do is thank him and praise him. I love that. That is a sweet-smelling aroma to him. It's a great thing, serving the Lord. But he doesn't want us to stop there, the the author of Hebrews, because the next verse, verse 16, he says, but do not forget to do good and share. 
For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So there is a sacrifice of our lips, but everyone hates someone who just says and doesn't do. That's the hypocrite, right? Oh, they praise God with all their heart during worship. And then they go home and live like a jerk. We hate that. And we don't want to be that. Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says, don't forget to do good and share. It's, that means it's something that can be forgotten. You can be so into worshiping Jesus and thanking God for everything that you literally forget about other people. And he's saying, don't do that. My heart is for other people too. So it's great that you want to worship me, but you should not live 24 hours of your day praising God. You shouldn't. You need to praise the Lord and then put your attention on people and serve them. That's his heart. He loves your praise. It's a sacrifice. But serve others is even better. Don't forget about it, he says. Next question. Do you do everything by the Holy Spirit? Romans 15, verse 15. Romans 15, 15. Paul says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace of God given to me by God, that I may be minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says here, I'm here to teach and remind you how to serve and please God. Whatever you do, it can please God if you're with the Holy Spirit. He makes you holy. He makes your offerings holy. So you do not say, I'm not good enough to serve God. I'm not in the right place to serve God. I'm not in the time of my life to serve God. You don't know the circumstances that are abound in my life. No, that's not okay. What you're really saying is that the Holy Spirit is too weak to make me acceptable to serve God. There's a whole lot wrong with that statement. The Holy Spirit is not weak. You are, but you've always been. When has that changed? So no, it's not about you. It's about your, I love how Chuck Smith always said, it's not about your abilities. It's about your availability. That's the people God uses greatly. That's the people who sacrifices greatly please him. They just make themselves available to be poured out every day. It was never about you and your efforts. It was always about the work and power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we serve God. So how do I know if I'm serving in my own efforts or by the Holy Spirit? Here's a quick little rundown for you. Did you ask him to fill you with the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Do your desires line up with the Word of God? Then done. Then you have all the confidence, you can have all the confidence in the world that it's God working in you to will and to do what he wants you to do. So you said, Lord, come fill me. And I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I don't want to cheat on my wife. I don't want to kill people. So I must run everything by the word. But if I have a desire to serve someone, love someone, take care of the babies downstairs, serve the kids, serve coffee, serve anywhere at church or serve the people out in the world, any desire I have, I can have pretty much 
total confidence that is from God and from the Holy Spirit, and therefore acceptable to God. He, he is faithful to the promises of his word. So if his word says something, we are responsible to believe it and to do it. In Psalm 138, verse 2, It says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. So we've kind of linked all this serving God to the word and believing the word and knowing the Bible. And that's what's going to kind of enable and equip you to know how to serve him, to know how to praise him. Do you ever just, I'd like to give thanks to you, God, but I don't know how. Open up the word and the word will show you. I'd like to praise you, but I don't know the words. Well, let me read Psalms and, and read how to praise the Lord. It's, it's wonderfully instructive for us. But he says here, you have magnified your word above your name. Now, verse Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, For assuredly, I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away till all the law is fulfilled. Which means his word is not going to change. His work towards you is, is sure. He's not going to give up on you. And then Isaiah 5, 55.11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So if you have asked God to fill you with his spirit, and you read the Bible, you are qualified to serve God all day long, every day. Because his word will show you how to serve him. You'll have crazy situations happen in your life. You'll have people that have bizarro things that they come to you with and you'll have hurt and you'll have pain. And in every single one of those situations, you open up the word and God will show you what to do. He will speak to you. Even if it's wait patiently. Even if it's trust me. Even if it's love your enemy. There's so many things that his word is so faithful to teach us and to tell us, but we just don't want to hear it. Because when we serve, we're like, I want to offer rum on your altar. And he's like, no, it's wine. I want to offer milk. I like milk. And God's like, no, wine. That's what pleases me. I'm showing you how to, how to please me. Just do my word. Listen to my word. What's it say? So let's read our original verse back in Philippians chapter 2 now. And we're going to see that we have more understanding. We understand what he's talking about. Look what it says. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul is such a great teacher. He doesn't make them feel like failures or like they're not good enough. He explains that he is willing to die for them to be able to serve God through Jesus. He is glad and happy to be able to serve God in this way for them. And the, and the more he can give, the better, even his life and his blood. And right now, where's Paul as he's writing this? In jail. In jail. 
And this is the heart that we need given to us by the Holy Spirit. Do we care about serving God more than anything in our life? Do we care that much? We were put on this earth to be a part of God's family and in Eden to to be workers to make the whole earth like the Garden of Eden. Eden was God's home and he wanted the whole world to be brought into looking like Eden and working like Eden. And he told Adam, you're going to need a lot of help, so have a lot of babies. But that was God's plan. Now, why did, why did God do that? Because he delights in using men. That was God's original vision. And guess what? It's still his vision. Men serving God. Being partners with him. Going with him to see his vision happen. And eventually Jesus is going to come back. Amen? And he is going to fulfill all of this and we're going to see it restored to how it was in the Garden of Eden. And guess what? You and I are going to be a huge part of that process. It says we're going to be his government when he returns. We're going to rule the nations, he says. And it's going to be a glorious, awesome time. So does God need us to do this? No, but he delights in using us and so he's chosen to do it that way. Does God need your sacrifices? No, but it smells good to him. Do I need my wife to give me kisses every day? Yes. Don't you get any ideas? But being saved comes with a total heart transplant where serving God becomes our greatest desire and it's a sign of being regenerated, being born again. You become a a kingdom child, a child of the king. And you get this heart just put in you. And if you would with me, turn with me to Luke 18. And this is where we're going to close up today. Luke 18. So when you're born again, you're given this new heart with new desires that line up with God's plan for the world given in his word. It's, it's planted in you, this new heart, by the Holy Spirit. And it grows by the watering of the Spirit when we read the Word. So the Word is like a water to this plant of new desires that comes out for us and, and then we desire to serve Him with the fruit of our lives. And as you read the Word, the Spirit supernaturally grows your desire to partner with God in changing this world. So you say, I am a believer, but I don't want to serve. I don't, I don't like really singing praise songs to God. I don't really like giving thanks to God. Then you, that's okay. You're just a baby plant. And you just need to read the word of God so those desires will grow. That's how it works. But in Luke 18, let's look at also this. This is awesome. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. So Jesus says, this is a question for God, but since I'm God, I'll go ahead and give you an answer. Verse 20, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. So this man has it all. He's rich, as we learn from another gospel. He's a, he's a good guy. He never treats people wrongly. He doesn't cut people off on the road. In fact, he has worked hard 
to get ahead. He's worked so hard. He's given his best effort. Maybe if you were on the outside, you'd say, he's made a lot of sacrifices. He's made a lot of sacrifices. And maybe as we've been doing the study, you've been thinking in your mind, do I have to make lots of sacrifices? Do I need to make lots of sacrifices? This is going to show us how not to do it and what God's heart really is. It's not about lots of sacrifices. This man gave his best efforts. He was smart. He even knew the right things to do. Jesus says, you know all the law. And he thinks he's done a pretty decent job. And you know what? Jesus doesn't even argue with him. He says, you have done a pretty good job probably. But look what he says, verse 22. When Jesus heard these things, and now in in the Gospel of Mark, it tells us one other detail, one other sentence. It says, when he heard these things, he looked at this man and he had compassion on him and he loved him. Then he says what we read right here. He said, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Oh, there it is. That's the sacrifice. Jesus wants me to be poor and move to Africa, live with the pigs. I knew it. I knew we'd come someday, get to the church service where Pastor Sean said, I need to give everything I have and, and sacrifice it all. I knew it. I knew following God would, would get to this. Or someday he would ask me for everything. And I'm not ready, willing. Well, what's going on here is that Jesus cuts right to the heart of the issue, his heart. Remember, Jesus looked at him, had compassion on him, and loved him. Is Jesus wanting to destroy him? No. Is Jesus wanting to make his life a bummer? No. All the good works in this man's life were pointless because his heart was breaking the first commandment. Notice all the commands Jesus asked him about were what? They were from the second tablet. They were the, the, the commandments that had to do with treating other people. But the problem was this man's heart was far from God. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? That's the one that was the problem. It fouled everything else up. And Jesus even promises this guy treasures in heaven if he would serve him from the heart, if he would just follow him. He promised him riches. And what's the difference between what this man is doing and what Jesus asked him to do? Following Jesus from the heart. Following Jesus is the difference. Now look what happens. Verse 23. But... When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom is God's kingdom, where God is everything, and he does everything right, and everything's perfect. And where does this kingdom exist right now? Heaven. Wherever Jesus reigns, that's where it is. And Jesus is working on bringing that kingdom from heaven to earth. Remember, on heaven as it is is on earth, right? 
So this rich man is too concerned about his own kingdom to enter or to really be included in what God was doing. And this made Jesus very sorrowful. Jesus longs to partner with us. He wants to use us for us to have his heart and to serve him by serving others. We don't serve because we have to by the rules. We don't sacrifice because we have to by the rules, but because we see the glory of the kingdom of God in heaven, we believe it, and we long from our hearts to see that same glory in the the world around us. We want to see his kingdom in our lives, in our circumstances. Now verse 26, and and those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. Peter finally said something not totally dumb. And so he said to him, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, God's work in heaven coming to earth, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So the guy's original question was about eternal life, and Jesus said, that's not the issue. I'll give eternal life freely to whoever asks. What you really want to know, dude, is how do I make my life count? He asked, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I, what do I do to inherit eternal life? How can I be a part of this? And Jesus said, bro, it's a gift. I'm going to give to you. Now, if you would like to see God's kingdom on this earth, you want to be involved in that, then you follow me with your heart. And then you may offer, offer sacrifices, but only after you realize that eternal life is a gift, that my love for you is not earned. I give it freely. I will never take it away. You have mercy. And by the mercies of God, we present ourselves a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, right? When we understand that, then we don't have to be like this rich young ruler. Giving doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm so scared God's going to ask me to give everything to the poor like this guy. Doesn't matter. When he loves you, when your heart's in the right place, you don't care. And if you do care, there's your truth. You're in the wrong spot. You don't know yet how much Jesus loves you. My goal isn't to get you to give more to God. It's for you to understand how much Jesus loves you and cares about you. And it will make all those other things fade away. Jesus promised this guy treasures in heaven. He's like, your treasures are lame. You're not, you don't even have an iPhone. I don't even know how you live. But I will give you real treasures. If you understand how much I love you, then you can serve me and we'll see treasures become in your way. Jesus shows us that serving God is worth it. He would have made this rich guy richer in heaven. And he says he promises relational riches here on this earth. You might not be rich on this earth uh, monetarily if you serve Jesus. 
Probably won't. But you will have relationships that are far beyond what anything in the world has. Amen. I love you guys. Serving God every day is the best use of our time. It's eternally valuable. Pouring out your life as a drink offering to the Lord makes your life count for eternity. It doesn't take away from what Jesus does on the cross. It doesn't add to what Jesus did on the cross. It makes it sweeter to the Lord. It, makes, it just adds to the Lord's sweetness. So the next verse, uh, we're going to read our verse in Philippians 2 one more time. Yes, and I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, and I am glad and rejoice in you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice in me. Are you bored at church? Are you bored with your relationship with God? It might just be the same problem that the rich young ruler had. You're living your life for yourself and not for God. He was very sorrowful and he was very rich. Those are the two varies in that sentence. Do you think there's a connection between the two? He was a good guy, but he didn't know the goodness of God. There's an emptiness in the American dream. You can have it all and still not be happy, right? Paul and the Philippians are glad and rejoicing, and Paul's sitting in jail, and the Philippians are being persecuted. And they're all glad and rejoicing. Are you in easy America? Jesus offers the same deal to you as he did to the rich young ruler and to Peter. He says, serving God will earn you riches in heaven. You, there will be rewards. But also there'll be deep relationships here on earth. Deep ones. So may this be a day of change for us. A day of surrender. Are you going to keep living your life for your kingdom or look to the kingdom of God and pour out your life for his kingdom? Daily pouring out your life and your time and money as a drink offering and a sacrifice to God because he loves you, not to earn it, because he already loves you. Trusting God's promises and humility of faith. It's so good. All right, well, let's all stand up and we'll praise the Lord. How about we make an offering right now? Ha ha. So good to praise the Lord. Well, Father, we have been... uh, instructed by your word to serve you and bring you an offering, the sacrifice of our lips, because of the great sacrifice you have made. And we know you're up in heaven and you're giving us this heart to long to serve you and to see your kingdom. Lord, to even understand what your kingdom's all about. And Lord, we just want to respond right now to your great love and sing about your love. And we're even going to take communion right now. We're going to remember what you did. Lord, and we're going to look in faith to you in humility to create in us this heart that we long to serve. Lord, show us and open our eyes to the beauty of your word, to how you teach us and instruct us to serve one another. And God, we pray that you would fill us with the joy and gladness that Paul and the Philippians have. 
It's so neat to read about it and to hear how pouring out your life and pouring out your heart and in service and sacrifice just creates joy. I've never been happier, Lord, than when I'm serving you. And Lord, it is tiring and there is a lot of work that goes into it. But Lord, I love you so much because you have loved and shown so much mercy to me. Jesus, you are the picture of love. Lord, we respond right now in song. We take communion to, to draw near and connect with you, Lord. Lord, we need you so much. I pray, Lord, that if someone in here has not believed ever and this is the first time they've heard about your love, Lord, I pray that they would call out to you to save them. They would, they would reach out their hands of faith and grasp onto the offer that you give them, which is perfect forgiveness because of Jesus' death on the cross. Perfect righteousness for their whole life, past, present, and future sins, washed away by the blood of Jesus. We believe, Lord, and we rejoice in knowing you.